0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you, we praise you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you are the one that opens our eyes to truth. And Lord, as we look at spiritual blindness this morning and how it can impact the lives of people and the and the outpouring or the result of spiritual blindness, what happens in the lives of people, I pray, Lord, that, that we would not be spiritually blind, but Lord, we would be illuminated by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding of why we're here and what you've called us to do, and may we not be have one eye on the world and the other eye on you, but Father God, give us a desire and a passion and a burden to serve you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Father, I just pray that each heart here would be prepared for your word, and Lord, that you would be our teacher. We're desperate for you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Last week, we looked at prayer in, in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. The tapes are available. They're free. Help yourself. Uh, real quickly on prayer, we looked at, at Some keys to prayer. One, the person that we pray to. That prayer should begin with praise. We should lift up, glorify, and honor the name of Jesus Christ. We should pray for the providence of God, His sovereign will. Not our will, but His will be done. So often when we pray, we pray and we try to get God to change His mind to give us what we want. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is conforming our will to His will, not the other way around. We pray and thank God for His provision we pray for perfection that God would make us more like him in his image. We pray for protection from temptation and then lastly we pray with petitions for others. Now this morning we're going to look as we pick up in verse 14, we're going to look at spiritual blindness. And it's interesting as I was studying this last night, it took me a long time to really find to pull out what did the Lord wanted me to emphasize in this text this morning. But what he put in my heart was spiritual blindness. And here are the results of spiritual blindness. If somebody is spiritually blind, they don't have the, the power of the Holy Spirit, they don't understand, here's some things that will result. One, they will be ignorant to the power of God. People that are spiritually blind don't understand how powerful our God is, that He truly is omnipotent, all-powerful. They will be indifferent to the person of Jesus Christ. They'll have no, no real feelings or thoughts about who Jesus is, or they'll be, have hatred toward Him. They will misplace worship. They'll worship someone or something else other than Jesus Christ. And lastly, spiritual blindness will result in future judgment. And you know what? We're all spiritually blind unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to begin by looking at the ignorance of the power of God, beginning in verse 14. So let's take a look at God's Word as we look at spiritual blindness this morning, beginning in verse 14. This is right after the Lord had taught them how to pray. He would given them the model prayer. And now it says, "As "...He was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled." So Jesus, again, for the third time, we're going to see that He heals a demonized man. And as He heals this man, we notice that Satan had possessed Him. And Satan brings harm. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But the, the reality is that Satan will disguise him, himself as an angel of light. I've said it many times before. Satan's not going to show up at your door with you know, horns going out of his head, and a pitchfork in his hand, going, Come and go to hell. I don't, not, not very many people are going for that, right? Most of them say, Oh, no, dude, I, I, ain't, I ain't about that. But what happens is he comes as an angel of light, and people get duped, and they follow him. They become spiritually indifferent to the truth, and they, they don't realize the power of Almighty God. Well, this man here, and we, we'll look at this more as we go on, had somehow fallen into the trap of getting so close and opening himself up that a demon had possessed him. And we'll notice that the demon brought harm to him because he became a mute, which meant he could not speak. And so the Lord comes and he casts the demon out of this man and no longer is he mute. The mute spoke. Our Lord touched him, transformed his life, and freed him from the bondage of Satan. Anybody who's bound by Satan must be touched by God to be freed. That's the only way it's going to happen. Freedom from Satan cannot come any other way. You know, we can't sprinkle holy water on somebody. You know, you can't, there's no incantations. It's got to be the power of the true and living God. But it says here at the end of that verse that the multitudes marveled because the man who had been demon-possessed was now speaking and the multitudes marveled. But what's interesting to me is, unfortunately, they marveled more at the healing than the healer. At the deliverance, than the deliverer. Quite often you see people, they marvel at the works of God, but they look at the works rather than looking at the one who performed the works. Too often we want to praise the result rather than praise the one who's done the work. We praise, again, the the deliverance rather than the deliverer. We praise the healing rather than the healer. Again, the demon had taken over the man's speaking ability. And I want to say this, demons are real, okay? Demons are real. The Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. But with that being said, I also believe that quite often we give the demonic realm too much credit. And what I mean by that is everything's a demon of this and a demon of that. You know, I'm struggling with the demon of chocolate, right, or the, the demon of anger or the demon of this. And we got demons for everything, and the reality is that sometimes it's just plain stinking you or me, amen? You know, it's not necessarily a demon. The devil can't make you do anything. We, you know, he can tempt you, he can draw you away, but at some point we choose to sin. And so we do battle. Again, it's, a spirit, it's in the spiritual realm. And demons can't possess men. We must be careful not to give the devil more power than he has. And I want to make this real clear. The devil is not the opposite of God. A lot of people think that here's God and here's the devil, and they put them on the same plane, right? God's over here, the devil's over here. No way. The devil is in no way the opposite of God. He can't even measure up in any way, shape, or form to Almighty God. God is the creator, the Alpha and the Omega, amen? And he's the one that created Lucifer, who once served him and was an angel in heaven. And Lucifer fell into pride, the same sin that would later fall upon Adam and Eve, desiring to be like the Most High. And he was cast out of heaven. And if there is an opposite of Satan, it would be Michael or, or Gabriel, be one of the angels. And again, God is way greater, so Satan is a defeated foe, and sometimes we give him way too much credit, but at the same time, we need to be careful not to give Satan an, an entrance into our home, or into our lives, or into our families. We'll talk about that more as we go along. But no need for a believer to be delivered. I want to make it real clear to you guys. In the, in the I don't know, 14 or 15 years God's allowed me to, to teach the Bible, I've had... Hundreds of people call me up and want deliverance prayer from something. Let me tell you right now, you don't need deliverance prayer. You've been delivered. Amen? Jesus said, it is finished, not to be continued. Amen? The work has been done. And you've been delivered. And you're a new creation in Christ. And we do need prayer for struggles in our life. But we don't need to be prayer, you know, to, to get demons off of us. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? And we need to, again, not be so uh, fearful of the enemy. Verse 15. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. He cast out demons by Beelzebub. Now Beelzebub was, was a, a name that they used for Satan. It was also a, another name that pointed to their God, to the, to the God Baal. And the reality was that they said he cast out Satan in the name of Satan. And so instead of rejoicing that God had sent the Redeemer, the religious leaders, and that's who's speaking here, we were rebelling against the truth of God's Word and attempted to discredit Jesus' works and His character. Imagine people being so spiritually blind that they could not distinguish a work of God from a work of Satan. They're so spiritually blind, that here God does an awesome work and they credit it to Satan. And you know what? I believe that the opposite is more true today. That instead of people crediting works of God as being works of Satan, I believe more often now they credit works of Satan as being works of God. They look and it, it's a work of the enemy and they think that they attribute it to God somehow. You know, I'll give you some, some examples. The Mormon Church. Hey, I, you know what? If you have a Mormon background, God bless you, you've been delivered from that. But the reality is that the Mormon Church is a doctrine of the devil. Why? Because they say they're going to be like the Most High God. Lucifer was cast out of heaven. Why? Because he wanted to be God. But yet, if you are a Mormon today, you believe, the Mormons believe that they will be God of their own planet one day. They believe that that our God, God the Father, used to be a man on another planet who had to get saved, and after he got saved, he was elevated to godhood, and now he's God of our planet. That's noise. That's not the God of the Bible. Amen? And that's not who we serve. That is a doctrine of the devil. And we give it credit as, oh, well, they're nice people, and you know what they are. But they need a Savior just like we do. Amen? And the Jesus of the Mormon church is the brother of Satan. Help me out with that. That's not how it works, okay? That's not who Jesus is. And if we call on any other Jesus other than the Jesus of the Bible, then that's not the true way to salvation. Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. They deny his deity. He's not God. That is a doctrine of the devil. The New Age movement says that we can become like God as we you know, achieve a higher aura, right? We just need to achieve the next level of consciousness. We see that a lot in Santa Cruz, right? And the reality is that, no, you cannot ever be like God. Amen? We, we are not going to be God in heaven. Now, we will be in heaven, and we will be made perfect, and we will worship and fellowship with Him, but I'm never going to be God. Two facts that you can know for sure. There is a God, and you're not Him. Amen? And that's what we need to remember. And so, any, all, again, what I see more of today is we take things that are doctrines of the devil, and we attribute them to God. And the reality is, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. Verse 16. Others testing Him sought from Him a sign from heaven. So there were those that said that He did doctrines of the devil. Then there were others that said, because again, a spiritual blindness, ignorance to the power of God, they said, well, we want to see a sign. And the, sign, the word for sign means they wanted to see a heavenly sign. You know, could you rearrange the stars for us? Then we'll believe. You know, if you could, if you could turn the moon, uh, you know have it spin real fast, or have it turn red or something. You know, could you give us a sign? Because then if He gave us this awesome sign, then, maybe then, we would believe. It blows my mind that while they're surrounded by so many witnesses, man still wants a sign. You know what? We drive down the street and we look at creation. You know what? God holds us in the palm of His hand. If He'd let go for a nanosecond, we'd be game over. Amen? I mean, scientifically, that's where we're at. You drive around, you see a rainbow in the sky. How did that happen? Yeah, but water molecules and a rainbow. Hey, God did that. Amen? It's God's promise. And the sad part is that the world has taken a rainbow, this is a promise from God, and turned it into a symbol for homosexuality. It's a mind blower to me that will take these signs from God and will say, Lord, we need a sign. And the signs are all around us. You have to be spiritually blind not to see Almighty God in creation. You have to just close your eyes to it and walk away from it not to see Him for who He truly is. In the story of Lazarus and the rich man, When the rich man cried out, he was cast into hell, and he he looked across the great gulf into Abraham's bosom, and Lazarus was there, who had been a beggar when he lived, and the rich man used to toss him alms. And he said, if Lazarus could come and just dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue, then I could have some relief. And then he he cried out, and he said, "You know, send Lazarus back to tell my family. And the Lord's response to him was, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, or God's word, neither will they be persuaded, though one raised from the dead. You know, an unbelieving generation—people who are spiritually blind—are always looking for the next, newest, and greatest sign. That's why you got people flying to, you know, Toronto to bark in the spirit and all this kind of weird stuff. If you haven't heard about that, you don't need to. You're not missing anything. But people are flying up there and crawling around and roaring and barking in the spirit, getting drunk, having to be putting drunk t- people looking for the latest sign instead of just trusting the word of God. I need a new revelation. You know, there's nothing new under the sun, you guys. Amen. This is it right here. Read the book. We don't need anything else. It's all consumed right here. And the power of the Holy Spirit will illuminate this to us. But people who are spiritually blind are seeking a new sign, seeking a new revelation, and we don't need it. It is finished. God paid the price. The work's been done. And praise the Lord for that. Verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against its house house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. So the Lord answers their question. They're saying, one half saying, give us a sign, and the other ones are saying, well, he does this in the power of Satan. But here's the reality. The reality is that Satan doesn't cast out Satan. And that's what he's going to respond to them. But I think it's interesting, if you look at verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them. Now, you know what? If him casting out demons wasn't enough, now he's going to answer the question that they're thinking about in their head. They haven't even spoken it out loud, and he answers the question. Now, can you imagine, you're walking and somebody walks up to you, and you're thinking about something, and they just answer your question for you? Whoa, right? And you think that that would be yet another sign to them, that this truly is Almighty God. But they are ignorant because of spiritual blindness to the power of God. Rather than worshiping Him and falling down and calling on His name as Lord and Savior and Redeemer, they continue to rebel because of spiritual blindness. And then by revealing just how illogical their accusation was, the Lord says, Why would Satan fight against himself and divide his own kingdom? Why would Satan destroy Satan? Amazing how far a spiritually blind man will go to keep from seeing the truth. It's amazing to me the things that people will believe rather than the truth. You know, the gospel is very simple. It is not a difficult thing to understand. The Bible talks about having a childlike faith. You know that I gave my life to the Lord when I was four and a half years old. My dad can tell you the story. I still remember it. I remember the little flannel board Mrs. Green put up and taught the story. And I had been hearing about it my whole life, but for the first time at four and a half, I understood Why? I didn't have to have a... I didn't know how to read. I didn't have to have a chemistry degree. I didn't have to have a scientific background. I didn't have to know about 47 steps. All I had to know was that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen? And then He came and suffered and died in my place that I might have eternal life. There's the gospel. It's that simple. But yet people would rather... They'd rather crawl on glass 500 miles to Mecca and suffer to try to prove their love for God, then accept the reality and the simplicity and the truth of the gospel. Spiritual blindness. They're ignorant to the power of Almighty God. Verse 19. Now, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? So wait a minute. You're telling me I'm casting out demons by the name of Satan. Then who do you guys cast them out by? Now, as I was studying this, many believe that they didn't really cast out demons, that they they did incantations and stuff, but a lot of it was just trickery, and they were trying to put one over on people. But whether they did it or they didn't do it, the reality is this, that if they were successful, then how were they doing it? Were they in the power of Satan as well? And so we see here the contradiction between, they're so spiritually blind that they don't see the truth. It's the ultimate in hypocrisy to condemn a behavior in those who oppose us while approving it in those who honor us. Truth is a truth, and the lie is a lie, no matter what the source. And so often, what happens is that we have a predisposition to what we're going to believe, and then if anybody else is doing something contrary to that, oh, it must be from the devil. Well, the reality is that they were spiritually blind. Verse twenty. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. The word there for finger is God, a finger of God is katagraphene. And it means to write against. It's interesting that those of you who have been coming on Wednesday nights, in Exodus 8, 19, when Pharaoh's magicians were unable to duplicate the, the plague of lice that God brought upon Egypt, their response was, they told Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Nobody else but God can do this. All the magicians came together, and they could not duplicate this miraculous work. And they said, this is the finger of God. And now, we hear Jesus say, in this verse right here, But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is the kingdom of God. It's awesome to me that the king was in their midst. He displayed his sovereign power. He cast out the demonic and they still didn't recognize him. You know, the same finger of God who brought plagues on the ju- and judgment upon Egypt. And he used that same finger to bring them deliverance out of Egypt. It's the same finger that on Mount Sinai wrote the Ten Commandments. It's the same finger that wrote on the wall, judging Belshazzar when he was worshipping the God of gold. And that very night, his life was brought to an end. It was the hand of God. meeny, meeny, tic parson, which means your days have been numbered, you've been found wanting, and you're going to be judged by God. And that's exactly what happened. It's the same finger that wrote in the ground, delivering the woman caught in adultery from her accusers. That's the finger of God. These spiritually blind men did not recognize the omnipotence, the, the power of Almighty God. They didn't recognize Him for who He was. It's interesting to me that the finger of God was used for both judgment and deliverance. The finger of God will judge those who deny Him, and it will deliver those who follow after Him. Amen? And, he, and you know what? That's where we all stand with the Lord. He's both Savior and Judge. Verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So who's the strong man? The strong man here is Satan. And he says when he is fully armed, that he over, he, he stands and he guards his own place and his goods are at peace. But when one stronger than him comes, who's the one who's stronger than Satan who defeats him? It's the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us that this world belongs to to the enemy, For several thousand years before Jesus came, he had free reign in a sense, right? But when Jesus came, he defeated Satan. He defeated him in his birth. He defeated him later in, in his temptation in the wilderness. Remember right when Jesus started his public ministry, right after his baptism, the first thing that happened is he went out into the wilderness, and for 40 days and 40 nights he didn't eat anything, 40 in the Bible's number of testing, and he was tempted by Satan. And he was victorious over temptation, that we might be victorious over temptation. We also saw that right after that, later, 30, uh, three years later, he was crucified and then he resurrected from the dead. And so Jesus had power over Satan. He was victorious over Satan. And we too can be victorious over him as well. So there is one stronger. And his ultimate defeat is coming yet. Satan knows it too. You know what? I, I, I have no doubt that Satan is more on the prowl now than ever. And you know why? Because he knows his time is short. Satan is going to be separated, he's going to be in hell and torment for all eternity, and he wants to take as many people with him as he possibly can. That's his whole plan. He, wants, he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And it breaks my heart to see people being duped and following him. So the spiritually blind people were, were ignorant to the power of Almighty God. We'll also see here in verse 23 that spiritually blind people are indifferent to the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. It said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Many think that because they are not decidedly against Christ, they don't oppose Christ, that they're somehow acceptable to God. With God, there is no neutral ground. There's no such thing as standing in the middle with the Lord. You're either for me or you're against me. Right? In or out, turn or burn, fly or fry, get right or get left, pray or stay, right? I mean, you either know Him or you don't. You're either one of His kids or you're not. You've either given your life to Him or you're an enemy of His. There's no in between. Well, I haven't decided yet. No decision is a decision. Amen? If you're standing on train tracks and a train's coming, I haven't decided whether or not to get off this track. That's a decision. Amen? You wait long enough, boom, train hits you, right? The same is true with the Lord. If you're standing there and you have not made a decision for Him, you have made a decision against Him. And spiritually blind people are indifferent to God. We need to be wholly committed to Him or we're in total opposition of Him. I haven't decided. Remember, no decision is a decision. It's spiritual blindness that doesn't see a desperate need for God. Let me just tell you right now, you need Him. You need Him. Desperately. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. And because of your sin, you've been separated from God. Because of all of our sin, my sin included. Every one of us has been separated from God. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us so much that He'd rather die than live without us. Amen? And He came and lived and suffered and died and paid the price that we might be restored back to Him. We need not to be indifferent about God. If you are, it's because you are spiritually blind. Verse 24. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. And finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, we all must be delivered from something. Everybody here, we had to be delivered from something. Drugs, alcohol, sinful behavior. But you know what? More than just being delivered from something, we need to be delivered to someone. Amen? If we're just delivered from something, that's not enough. And we see right here in the text, it says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes to the dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. Reformation apart from regeneration results in even a greater frustration. And what I mean by that is a lot of people think, well, you know, I'll go through a 12-step program and I'll get off the alcohol. And that's great, but here's the reality. If you quit drinking and you, you free yourself from that, you still are lacking. There's still something missing. Just stopping drinking is not enough. Just stopping with your anger problem is not enough. Just stopping from whatever struggle is in your life is not sufficient. We can't just be reformed from our sinful behavior. We must be regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't just empty ourselves out of that demonic oppression or whatever, or that sinful behavior, without replacing it with something else. And here's what the text is telling us. So true transformation can only come through regeneration. So here we see some things about the acts of demons. And it's real important that just cleaning up your act will never be enough. Well, look what it says about the demons here. They are restless. They know their days are numbered. So when they're cast out of one, they seek another place. Remember when the Lord a few weeks back cast the demons out of the, out of the man, and where did they go? They went right into the pigs. Remember that? They're always looking for something to destroy. That's what Satan and his demons' desire is. They want to destroy. And so they've got to find a place to destroy. So this man's been delivered, and, and out of him he comes. Well, guess what? They go and try to find another place, find another person to indwell. Now, there are certain conditions that permit and even invite the demonic into a man. Certain, And there are certain conditions that keep him out. Let me tell you some things that are invitations to, to the demonic in your life. Now, as Christians, I want to make it real clear. You cannot be demon-possessed. Period. Impossibility. God is not sharing His tent with anybody. Amen? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's no way Satan's hanging out here. Right? But here's the reality. There are things we can do to invite, and especially if you have... Children or unsafe family members, or whatever. There are things we can do that will invite and let Satan know that he's welcome. Let me share a few things with you opening the door to demonic possession Ouija boards, fortune tellers, psychics, astrology, the New Age movement, paganism, witchcraft, sorcery, which in the Bible the word is pharmakia, where we get the word for pharmaceuticals, and that would be drug use. Also, uh, you know, role play games like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. And then also the music that we listen to. All of those things are tools, along with many others, that Satan will use to get right in to someone's life. It's like a big sign saying, come on down, I want you to be here. Here, you're welcome, you're welcome here. You know, it's interesting to me that Halloween, right, jack-o'-lanterns. Jack-o'-lanterns came from, back in the day, they, are, they were welcome signs to, to, to the demonic to say, you're welcome here. You put a jack-o'-lantern out to say, Satan, you're welcome at my house. Come on down. Now, I used to cut up jack-o'-lanterns years ago before I heard about that. I don't do that anymore. No, I don't think so. I and mean, you ain't welcome at my house. Get out of here, right? But the reality is that there are things that we do that are welcoming His presence. They come, you know, Ouija boards and things like that, we, we let go. We want the, we want the Spirit to, to guide and to lead. And we're not talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting to me that door opened by, by dabbling with the occult and we see what happens in the lives of people. But again, as born-again believers, we're dwelt by the Holy Spirit. We cannot be demon-possessed. But again, we need to be leery. Don't, don't dabble with the occult. Don't mess around with demonic stuff. We need to flee from that stuff. Amen? If you've got any of that garbage in your house, get it out of there. You know, people say, oh, it's just fun, Pastor Dave, to read my astrology chart. You know what? You need to steer clear of that. Amen? Because that's not from God. That's noise. One, it's either just it's total malarkey, or if, it's, if there's any way it's true, then it comes from the devil. So why are you reading that? Well, you know what? Read this instead. Amen? You want to know the future? Read the book. Amen? And you'll know what the future holds for every one of us. So spiritual blindness also can result in misplaced worship. Look what it says here. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. And he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Here we have one of the very first attempts to worship Mary. You now we thought the Catholic Church started it. Well, guess what? Here it is right here. Trying to worship Mary. Blessed is the, blessed is the womb that bore you. And how does Jesus deal with it when they want to worship his mom, how does he respond? Now I want to make this real clear. Mary is blessed among women. God blessed her with an awesome privilege. And but at the same time, I believe if it were possible to grieve in heaven, Mary would be grieving. You know, the Catholic Church recently came out and said you can get to heaven through Jesus or through the co-redemptrix, Mary. Now if you were Mary and had you, oh no 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 no. Why? Because Mary was a sinner in need of a savior. Amen. Mary was not perfect. Mary had other children. Mary sinned. Mary was not, did not, you know, cons- was not holding, consumed into heaven. That's not true. These are all, these are all uh, lies. And so here we see this, and, and they say, oh, blessed is your mom. And how does the Lord respond to that? What does Jesus say in response to someone wanting to honor His mother? And again, spiritual blindness can result in misplaced worship by worshiping someone else or something else other than the Lord. Look at what it says. More than that, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. So who's more blessed than the woman that God chose to use to bring the Son of God into the world? Those who hear the Word of God and obey it. Those who are born again, those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, they are more, but wait a minute, we're worshiping Mary, well, I I sure hope you don't go home and like, pray to me, because the Bible says I'm more blessed, and you're more blessed than Mary was, amen, you don't go home and, you know, pray to your friends and stuff, that's weak, we pray to Almighty God alone, amen, and what we see here, is we see this false worship coming from spiritual blindness, when we're spiritually blinded, we don't understand the truth, we'll grab onto something else. Oh, there's an apparition down in Peru, and you know, the Virgin Mary's crying, and everybody treks down to Peru, and oh, they start kissing the statue. You know what? If the Lord were there, he'd say, no, 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 don't stop. We're to worship one alone, our Lord, our Savior, our King, Jesus Christ. And notice here that the highest form of worship is obedience, obeying God. That's the highest form of all. Blessing not through heritage. It's not through birthright but through obedience to the Word. I love that. It's not, it's not because of where we were born. It's not because of what family we're in. It's because we have given our lives to the Lord. Because we've been adopted into His family. Because we walk in obedience to Him. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. So next thing we see is that spiritual blindness will result in a future judgment. Look at verse 29. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, He began to say, there's an evil generation. This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will get, be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Now it's interesting, this is an evil generation, it seeks a sign. Have you noticed that every single time somebody came to Jesus and requested a sign, He turned them down? Why? Because we don't, He doesn't want people who come to Him seeking the miraculous. He wants the people that come to Him Seeking salvation, seeking to know Him as Lord and as Savior. You know what? If you became a Christian so you could be on the cruise ship to heaven and you could say Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac and get whatever you want, right? That's not the God that we serve. It's not all about the miraculous, the, the physical miracles that we want to please us. It's all about realizing we are sinners in need of a Savior. 1 Corinthians one twenty two says, For the Jews seek after a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Spiritually blind seek a sign, and they miss the Savior. They're looking for a sign. They're looking for the miraculous. They're looking for the newest miracle. And when it doesn't come, they go try to find it somewhere else. You know what? Satan can perform miracles. Did you know that? Satan can do miraculous things. And if you're seeking after miracles, you can be duped really easily. Some of you have seen those videos that I have. Uh, they sold their soul to rock and roll. And there literally are people who've made a deal with the devil and said, You know what? Teach. Me. You know, I'll give my life to you if you'll give me this musical ability. And there's even stories in there where all these people who aren't even Christians are testifying to this this blues musician. I I forget his name right now, but this guy could barely play the guitar. And he went out to this place and he said if the devil would give him the ability, then he'd give his life to the devil. And they said when he came back from this place, the guy was the most incredible guitarist anybody had ever seen. You see Bob Dylan being interviewed on there and all these people saying, oh yeah, man, it was incredible. Here's the guy he was before and then we saw him afterward. It was incredible. And you know what? Satan can perform miracles. But if we seek after only the miraculous, if we seek after only the the things that result instead of the one who performs it, we're going to fall into the trap. The sign of Jonah the prophet. What was the sign of Jonah the prophet? He said, No sign will be given this generation except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Jonah the prophet spent three days in the belly of a great fish. Jesus was crucified and spent three days in the tomb. The sign of the prophet Jonah Pointed to Jesus, and that's the sign that we know is from God. It points people to the Lord and points to their need for Him as Savior. Again, spiritual blindness will result in future judgment. Look at verse thirty-one. It says, "The queen of the south will rise up in judgment." Excuse me, for the, for Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites. So also the Son of Man will be to this generation, and the Queen of the South will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and a deed greater than Solomon is here. Now, the pagan Queen of Sheba praised the God of Israel when she heard Solomon's wisdom, and Solomon was a man full of faults. The cruel and warlike men of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, repented when they heard Jonah preach to them, and Jonah didn't even care about those people. And what the Lord is saying here is, by contrast, that Jesus, the perfect Son of God, had come to the people. He loved them dearly, but they rejected Him. Thus, God's chosen people had made themselves more liable to judgment than either a notoriously wicked nation or a powerful pagan queen. It's interesting that the people of Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba had turned to God with far less evidence than Jesus was to the people that were standing there. They had turned to the Lord by the words of Solomon, and we know that Solomon later blew it. We know that, that uh, Jonah totally blew it. He did not want to go to Nineveh. He's like, I'm not going. The Lord said, go to Nineveh. No, I ain't going. And he went in the opposite direction. Now, I know none of you have ever done that, right? I mean, I, I've done it. You know, the Lord tells you to do something. No, I ain't going there. No, I, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up for no I don't like the Ninevites. I hope they go to hell. I'm not doing it. And that's basically where he was at. He said, I ain't going. And he went got on a boat and went the other direction. Now, you know what happened. Our God kicked up a pretty big storm, and they started throwing stuff off the boat. And finally, they were like, you know, why is this torment happening? Because finally Jonah came up. It's me. It's me. Lord told me to go to Nineveh, and I went the other way. So what happened? They threw him off the boat. Fish came along, swallowed him up. Guess where guess where Jonah got belched up after three days in the belly of a fish? Smelling pretty good when he got belched up, by the way. Imagine his skin all, oh, it had been, been brutal. He got belched up in Nineveh, right? And the reality is, we can either go straight there, and we can get there, you know, smelling pretty good and feeling okay, or we can go contrary to God's will, and we can, we can get swallowed by a fish, we can get belched up in Nineveh, you know, covered in stomach acid of a fish, right? Can you imagine him walking into town? He must have been a pretty good sight, right? There have been signs that say his hair was probably all fried away, his skin was probably dyed a different color, he was probably looking pretty sweet. He comes walking in there and he doesn't even like the Ninevites. So he's got an attitude. And what's amazing to me, here comes this guy, this hairless, smelly dude, walking into Nineveh and he goes, oh, you guys better repent. Oh, and he didn't even like him, right? And he showed no love, he showed no grace and all the Ninevites got saved. <laughs> it's true. They all got saved. And then what did he do? He went out and sat under a tree and he was ticked off that they got saved. That's the Bible says, right? We're going to get there when we get to Jonah. So, but but what he's saying is they had you have a greater sign than the prophet Jonah. Jesus came. He was broken for you. He shared with you the truth. And you know what? I believe that we today have an even greater revelation than anyone who's ever lived. And let me tell you why. We have eyewitness reports to the risen Jesus. We have the continuing power of the Holy Spirit unleashed at Pentecost. We have the completed revelation of God's Holy Word, the Bible. We have the knowledge of 2,000 years of Christ's acts through His church. We have the testimony of millions of transformed lives. Some of you in this room, your lives have been changed. I've seen your life changed. Some of you, I prayed for you before you knew the Lord. I've seen you come to know the Lord. And I've seen the change in your life. And it's awesome. What an awesome testimony to the power of Almighty God. Here's who I used to be and here's who I am. There's nothing greater than that. There's no bigger miracle on the planet than someone who used to be dead in their trespasses and sins who's now been made alive in Christ. Whose passions used to be for the things of the world and now their passions are for the things of God. And yet he's saying, you know what? There's going to be heavy judgment for those who have this much revelation and still turn away from God. You know what else we have? We have the ongoing fulfillment of biblical prophecy. All you've got to do is look around you. And you just see the Bible happening. I have a t-shirt that says, this is the newspaper, this is the Bible, any questions? And the reality is that that's true. You look in the newspaper and you look at the Bible, and the Bible said it thousands of years ago, and it's happening right before our eyes. Isn't it amazing how much concentration is being put on the Middle East? Israel, the size of New Jersey, right? And everybody's focus is on Israel. You know why? Because God said it would be that way. Amen? 1948, the only nation that ever ceased to be a nation that became a nation again, Israel. And you know why? Because God said it would happen. And you know what? We are accountable for all that we know and understand about Almighty God. With the knowledge and insight available to us, we ought to be the most sold out and on fire followers of Jesus Christ that have ever lived. Ever. Lastly, how to eradicate spiritual blindness. How do we get rid of this blindness? How do we take this away? Verse 33. No one who has lit a lamp puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when the eye is good, the whole body is also full of light. But when our eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Now, God's Word, and I want you to see this, and I don't want you to be confused. Verse 33, the lamp there is God's Word. The Bible says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen? If you're walking around bumping into walls and trying to figure out what life's all about, read the book, don't wait for the movie, amen? Get the light out of God's Word and seek direction from Him. Quit quit going around and and seeking ungodly counsel. Quit trying to make decisions based on your own understanding. Let the Word of God give you direction. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 6, 23, For the commandment and the law is a light. So God's Word is not to be hidden. But it is not enough for the lamp to shine externally on our lives. It must enter our lives before it can do any good. Before that spiritual blindness can go away, that light's got to go from being out here to being in here. That's the only way you're going to be transformed. Transformation won't come from going to church and being good and doing the works. There's got to be transformation from the inside out. It never happens from the outside in. Well, I've got to get cleaner. I've got to be nicer. I've got to do more things. No, you don't. You need to die. Amen? That's what the Bible says. Die to yourself. And be made alive in Christ. But now we have a change in the metaphor, because look what it says here. Now the lamp of the body, so the the lamp in the verse thirty-three is the word of God. But the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. The lamp of the body is the eye. When we trust Jesus Christ, our eyes are open. The light shines in, and we become children of light. Psalm 119, verses 130 says, The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. John 8:12 says this, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If you're here this morning, and you're trying to figure out what life's all about, let me tell you. People say, I don't know. You know define the meaning of life. It's impossible. I can give you the meaning of life in one word. Jesus. Amen? Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It doesn't mean Christ is first in my life. It means He's first, He's 50th, He's 100th, and He's every number in between. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Someone says to you, what's the meaning of life? There's only one answer. It's Jesus. Amen? And so we see here that our eyes can be opened. If our, eyes are, if our eyes are open to the truth of who Jesus is, then our lives will be transformed. We either have an eye of faith, allowing the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate our lives, or the eye of unbelief, walking in spiritual blindness, unilluminated by the power of the Holy Spirit, rejecting the Word of God. Last two verses, verse 35 and 36. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body is full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. God is calling each one of us to be single-minded and in focus. Our lives illuminated, directed, and empowered by the light of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. You want your faith to grow? I had a, a guy, my next-door neighbor, just a few months ago, came up to me and said, Man, Dave, I want to have faith like you have faith. I said, You can. Wow. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen? Romans 10, 17. You want to increase your faith in God? You want to increase your walk with the Lord? Spend more time in His Word. The more time you spend in His Word, the more you will become like Him. Want to go deeper in your walk with God, spend more time in His Word. Sadly, many mighty men and women of God have fallen as they fell into the trap of having one eye on God and the other, hand, other eye on the world. Let me give you a couple examples. We're going to close with this. It says in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now I'm going to share with you three mighty men of God who fell to those three sins. Mighty men who allowed their eye to wander from God and the results were devastating. And I want to encourage you as believers, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. It's very easy to get our eyes off of the things of God and, and allow our eye to slip away and get on something else that the world has to offer. It can rip us off from what God wants to do with us. It can render us ineffective for ministry. It can keep us away from what God's calling is upon our life. Let me read first. Samson, prophet of God. Birth was prophesied by an angel of the Lord. He took a Nazarite vow from his birth. He was set apart to God from birth. How did he end up? He ended up a blind slave in a dark dungeon. Why? Because he yielded to the lust of the flesh. He fell because of a woman. And he had a a woman problem all the way down the line. Here's a a man called by God, he was mildly by God, and he took his eyes off of God and put his eyes on a woman. You know what? The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And you know what? Even if you have a Christian, those of you are going to be going to engagement class. Here's your first class, Okay. Don't allow your relationship with your, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend to come above your relationship with God. Your love for God needs to be more than your relationship for your spouse and more than your love for your kids. Boy, Pastor Dave, slow down. I, love my, I do too. Hey, I love my kids so much it hurts I can't even stand it. I love them so much. I told you before, I drive down the freeway and I cry thinking about my kids sometimes. And I'm not a guy who cries at drop of hat. But when it comes to my children, I weep a lot. Now, let me just say this, though. I am to love God more. And the greatest thing I can do for my wife is be in love with Almighty God. Amen? Because if I'm in love with Him, I'm going to be a reflection of Him to her. The greatest thing I can do for my kids is love God above all else. But what Samson did was, he looked at a woman, and he desired the woman more than he desired the Lord, the lust of the flesh. He ended up a blind slave. He, he was wiped out for ministry. It was eliminated. You know, we, we say all the time that God's calling is irrevocable, and that's true, but here's the reality. We can also take that calling, and we can put it on a shelf. We can put our eyes on something else, make something else more important, and we can render ourselves ineffective for ministry. Lot. Lot began as a pilgrim with his uncle Abraham. How did he end up? He ended up as a drunk in a cave, committing incest why because he yielded to the lust of the eyes you remember the story that abraham and lot were standing there and abraham said lot you choose which way to go and i'll go the other direction and lot looked out and he saw the fatness of the lamb the land and it says he pitched his tent towards sodom and then after pitching his tent towards sodom he was encamped at the gates of sodom and before he knew it he was living in sodom what happened lot saw the fatness of the lamb land. He got his eyes off of God and he got his eyes on the stuff. Oh, it's a nice place to live down there. Oh, that's pretty good. I think I'm going to go there. And he went there and we know that because of the lust of the fle- the lust of the eyes, excuse me, it entered in destruction. Lastly, the last example, King Saul. King Saul began as a humble leader, but his pride led him to a witch's cave and he died of suicide on the field of battle. His sin was the pride of life. He would not humble himself and obey the will of God. You know what happened in his life where the beginning really, of the end really was? They were getting ready to battle and God had said that he would give him victory. And the Philistines started mounting up and mounting up and mounting up. And as he looked across the way, the Bible said the Lord had told him, You are not to go into battle until Samuel, the prophet, comes and makes sacrifice unto the Lord. And he started to see that the, the enemy was getting overwhelming and he started to panic. You know, your finances are in trouble. You start to panic. You know, uh, my health, whatever it might be, and and you get your eyes off God and say, I've got to go fix this myself. I've got to do something to overcome my problem instead of trusting in God. And so what happened? He went in and made sacrifice to the Lord Himself. And when Samuel showed up, he said, what you've done is an abomination. You've put yourself in the place of God. And what is it that wiped him out? The sin was the pride of life. So the lust of the flesh in Samson, the lust of the eye in Lot and the pride of life in King Saul. And you know what? Those are the same three things that we struggle with today. Amen? So in closing, if the worship team would come back up. Spiritual blindness. What does it result in? It results in ignorance to the power of the Lord. It results in difference to the person of Jesus Christ. It results in misplaced worship of someone or something else other than the Lord. It results in future judgment and eternal separation from God. How do we eradicate spiritual blindness? to the Holy Spirit illuminating God's Word to our hearts. God's calling on each one of our lives is to be single-minded, our lives illuminated, directed, and empowered by the light of God's Word and the power of His Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, if any one of us is struggling, Lord, with the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life, For Lord, if, if there's anybody here that doesn't know You, Father, I pray by the power of Your Holy Spirit, just open their eyes to Your truth. Help them to see, Lord, that, Father God, that you love them, that you care. Help each one of us, Lord, to put feet to our faith. Not just say that we trust you, but act like we do. Not just say, Lord, that we believe that you can do miraculous things, but, Lord, truly live like it. And, Father, I just know that in your, that the saying that just grips my heart is it's so true, Lord, that a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Lord, may we hold lightly to this world and hold tightly to you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Let's stand and close the worship song.